Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Mixed martial arts and boxing fans, it's time for Fighter's Fury inside the heart of a champion. With your hosts, Brendan Tobin, Seema, and Tommy Guns. It's time for Fighter's Fury on AM790 The Ticket. Good morning, everybody. Welcome on in. Fighters Fury here on 790 The Ticket. Tobin here with you for the next hour. We'll dive all over the world of mixed martial arts and boxing. Lot to get to from last night. A busy slate for us. HBO boxing. What a rarity. It's good to see our old friends at HBO. I don't feel like we see them very much. They had themselves a nice card yesterday from Brooklyn. Jarrell Miller taking on Johan Dehupois, the, uh, the, the, the French reptile. And that was this was an important heavyweight fight. And I continue to tell you guys, Heavyweight boxing right now, it's the most entertaining division in boxing, bar none. The characters that they got, the competition that they got, the different skill sets that these guys bring to the table, it is as fruitful as it's been in a long, long time, heavyweight boxing. It is fantastic right now. And Jarrell Miller, he uh, he gets to really add his name to the list of that grouping of individuals who are right there at the top. It is it is a fun, fun time if you're a boxing fan and you have been sitting here chirping about, ah, well, hasn't been the same since the heavyweight division has gone away. It's not away. Right now, heavyweight division is as good as it's been in a long, long time. And Jarrell Miller yesterday, what a performance he put on in front of his hometown crowd of Brooklyn as you know, this was an important fight for Jarrell. His uh, his last showing on HBO it was it was fine. It wasn't like uh, you know the, the, what they made it out to seem like. He uh, he went out there and disappointed. You know, it was undercard fight the last time. You know, he went out there and he and he did fine. But Jarrell is interesting in a couple of regards. Um, you know, we've had we've had him uh, on the show before. He is a former kickboxer. He is a guy who has trained with the Klitschko's. He has is a has a long long resume of the guys that he's worked with. But he still continues to train with mixed martial artists. Like he trains down here at Hard Knocks 365 with the Luke Rockholds, the Kamara Usmans of the world. Like he's not letting that part of his training go. He still gets a lot of different tastes. And so everybody really focuses on his size because he's massive. I mean, he tips the scales at three bills, 304 pounds for a 6'4 individual. But he doesn't look like it. He almost he he almost looks like a like like the Hulk. That's that's the kind of that's the kind of individual we're talking about here with Jarrell Miller. And the thing about him that just stands out to you with his size, because you know, he put a beating on Dehupois yesterday, something fierce. And all I kept hearing from the commentary of Max Kellerman was, Yeah, well, the question is if he's if he was a different size, would would he be better served? It's like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point here. What you're missing here is a unicorn. You're seeing a guy 300 pounds bullying a man who's 250 pounds, pushing him off any time that he would come close to Jarrell Miller. 
shove him back. It was like watching a rhinoceros with fast fists. It was incredible what we were seeing last night from Jarrell Miller. Really, really impressive. And the other thing that gets lost upon it, okay, you could get stuck on the 300 pounds thing, and I'm not saying that it won't come to bite him in the ass at some point, but he's got maybe the fastest hands out of the top contenders. He throws more punches than anybody out of these top contenders. And there's just something. I don't know if it's his background with kickboxing and and being there with mixed martial artists or that he's just in there with every one of the best kinds of combat strikers in the world. There's a freeness to Jarrell Miller's striking that is unlike anything we see in that weight class. So when you tell me that he gets in there with a Deontay Wilder or an Anthony Joshua, that he can't find ways to find their chin. I'm going to go a hard no sale on that. This guy coming from different angles. I mean, he throws stuff that you see just in. He fights like a little fighter, but he's 300 pounds. So, yeah, he may not have the crack that Deontay Wilder does. Here's a newsflash. Nobody does. And he may not have the prototypical build and savvy that and Anthony Joshua does, an Olympic gold medalist, few do. But what makes him special, that size and that unorthodox way that he's able to deliver those strikes from that size, he's going to be creating some problems for either one of those guys if he gets in there. I'm telling you. The fact that he gets in there, his boxing savvy, his striking savvy, I would put way high on the checklist over Deontay Wilder, even though I think Deontay gets a little bit too much of a harsh criticism for that. And the freeness that he moves with, I think gives him I, I think gives Anthony Joshua a lot of problems. Then you put on top of the fact that, all right, these guys may have a couple inches on him. He's gonna have in, in Deontay Wilder's last fight, he came in under 220. So you're gonna tell me he's gonna have anywhere between 60 to 80 pounds on Deontay Wilder with a couple of inch difference. So, yeah, you'll have to go through the firestorm of Deontay Wilder's giant telephone poles of death. But if you're talking about the movement, if you see the savvy in the ring, if you see the footwork, the the, the rolling off the punches, and then where he comes with his shots... It's tough to imagine that the guy this size has that kind of a workload in him. He does. Almost 800 punches last night. 800 punches from a heavyweight. It was incredible to watch. I was I was mystified by it. And just just pushing Deopois off like a fly, like a gnat, anytime. I, I, I look at those two top fights of Jarrell Miller taking on and Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. I really do think he creates a lot of problems for him. I mean, if we're really going to talk about the big players in this ring of top heavyweights, probably the guy who gives Jarrell the most problems would be a Tyson Fury, a guy who can really stick and move, a guy who can really take advantage of that reach. I think that would create problems. But I kept thinking last night watching Jarrell Miller, and at first I go to the Deontay Wilder matchup, even though that's probably the one that's least likely to happen. And I thought back to the Luis Ortiz fight and how, man, Deontay was having a lot of issues in that fight, keeping Luis Ortiz off him, 
And I didn't even feel like Luis Ortiz's output was that great. But the movement that he was able to put in there and the kind of issues that Jarrell, I mean, that uh, Deontay had with Luis Ortiz, I kept thinking to myself, man, Jarrell Miller, if he were to put some of those same problems, but you add size, speed, and output to it, that's a tough day at the office for Deontay Wilder. And then you think about what Anthony Joshua's had his last couple fights with Carlos Takam and Joe Parker. And, you know, Joe, though he started off good in that fight, I think a lot of people gave him credit for keeping Deontay Wilder, uh, for keeping Anthony Joshua at arm's length for a little bit. The big problem out of that fight for Joe Parker was that he didn't throw enough, that he didn't want to go through the line of fire. I'm not saying that won't be an issue for Jarrell if he gets in there with Anthony Joshua, but the the size difference can't be denied. And how they fight, Joe Parker is a little bit more picky with his shots. Jarrell's just it's it's almost like how how do you how do you stop those shots from coming? They're all over the place, all of it. Uppercuts, hooks, double hooks. You know, it's just it's almost like nothing, nothing straight, but nothing ever stops. And and even his jab, you can't even poo poo it. It's really, really impressive, and it, it it makes you think about the sport and where it's at right now. Just watching a guy like him, because of the size that he's at, and you think about the work that he's put in. I mean, this is a guy that he travels all over the place to train. He's he's sparred with the Klitschko's before. He he still trains with UFC champions and UFC top contenders. It's very fascinating to see that all put forth itself in a boxing ring. That this guy has the boxing resume behind him and has the boxing rounds behind him, but also has other sports to lean back on. Um, it almost seems like the fact that he, because of that kickboxing background, because he trains with the mixed martial arts, and because he's so good with his hands, that only defending the fists is easy for him. I, I mean, I really like he took some shots yesterday, but it didn't feel like anything really bothered him at all. And I don't know if you credit that to his size, his toughness, both. Um, I don't know if you credit that to he's just got the polish behind him. But I really, really think after watching what he did yesterday, Jarrell Miller's a problem for the champs in the heavyweight division. I think he's a problem for Deontay Wilder. I think he's a problem for Anthony Joshua. I, I mean, I don't think either one of those guys would go into that fight as an underdog. I think the betting public and Vegas will definitely have those guys as the favorite, but only because they're more known, only because we've seen the crack guys that we're more familiar with. Jarrell Miller just doesn't have the names on his resume yet, but if you see the style, I, I I just thought he was very, very impressive yesterday. For example, watching Deontay Wilder fight Dehupois back in the day wasn't the most impressive showing in the world. Like Deontay, he ended up getting him out there in 11 rounds, but I think we watched in that fight and saw, you know, there's still those openings there. There's still those windows. And, and the question's still been, all right, if you get somebody who can really put him in danger, it's not like Jarrell Miller is a, is a powder puff when it comes to the to the throwing of the fists. But I, I, that was one of the things I found off yesterday with what Max was saying and, and 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 some of the commentary. Like Roy Jones got it. 
Roy Jones watching it yesterday, he got it. He's like, man. I, and I think at one point he's like, this is kind of like watching Ben Simmons take over in the NBA. Like you're watching a different type of beast here. Watching a guy who fights like a little fighter, but he's 300 pounds. So he may be in there and he's fighting like a middleweight, but he's 300. And you really can't keep him off you. So even when you think you're keeping the pressure off him, he's literally bulldozing his way into you to put you up against the ropes, to have you in uncomfortable spots. It's just, it's not like we've we've seen in this division in a while. It's really, really, really impressive. And a very, very intriguing new player in the heavyweight division is Big Baby Miller. Really, really, really great. We'll get into the rest of the card from last night. The Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix has another one moving on, and we have our first semifinal matchup. We'll tell you about that next. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. Welcome back. Fighters Fury here on 790, The Ticket. Uh, before we get into the rest of last night, I do want to mention a couple things. You know, last night was Daniel Jacobs uh, fighting Zelensky on the main event of HBO. And if you don't know Daniel Jacobs' story, I mean, a guy who's come back from bone cancer to win a championship. I, I'm... In his fight with Gennady Golovkin, I thought he won that fight. Uh, had a good performance yesterday. Closer fight um, than I think he probably expected. Uh, Selitsky was game, man. Very, very game. But he got himself a huge knockdown in the 12th round to really seal the deal, get himself a win. Called out Jamal Charlo afterwards. I'm not I'm not upset with that matchup. I'd be, I'd be all for watching Charlo versus Daniel Jacobs. I hope that's a makeable fight because of, you know, the HBO relationship, Eddie Hearn, and, and Charlo being more of a Showtime PBC guy. Um, so I hope that's, that's something that we're, would be able to happen because I think that'd be a very, very fun fight and we'll get into triple G a little bit later, but also yesterday, Jarrell Miller, uh, in the pre-package, they talked about his relationship with this, uh, this young lady, Lily. He did a, a knockout cancer promotion with her, has a, uh, a friendship relationship with her now where she walked him to the ring. By the way, Jarrell Miller, solid ring entry yesterday as Black Panther. That was awesome. He's actually scarier than the real Black Panther because he may be heavyweight champion of the world someday. He's 300 pounds, and in Black Panther costume, it's the most terrifying thing you'll see. So I'm just food for thought if they need Black Panther to have some more muscle in the next film, uh, maybe go with Jarrell Miller because he was he was an intimidating an intimidating freak of a of a figure yesterday. Um, but obviously, you know there was a there's a huge tie-in, and, and Lampley even mentioned that, that you know cancer was a big theme of yesterday's broadcast. And so I just want to make mention, and I've been saying this the last few weeks, of, of March for Cancer. Um, Seema and Tommy Guns, they've been putting on this event now, I think, five or six years. And it's just, it's a real, really tremendous um, raiser of funds for people who are going through the battle of cancer currently. You know, and as we've said, there's, there's a, a ton of great stuff that goes into the research of cancer and finding a cure for cancer. And all that's very, very important. But... I do think that uh, in some of these things that we lose sight of, people who are actually going through it right now that may never even see the results of that phenomenal research and and uh, and studies that are going on. That they just they need help now. They need help keeping their lights on. They need help. Um, they need help with their groceries. They need help getting to treatments, getting to chemo, getting to all these types of things. And they just don't have anybody. They don't have anybody or. Um, the people that they have are, are, are burdened with other things and people need help. That's basically what I'm saying. You know, people need help and especially people who are fighting this disease. And we talk about fighting all the time here on the show and 
you know, not everybody who has to go through a fight straps on gloves. The, there are people who are just like everyday people, you know, people that you, that are too young, you know, that you wouldn't think are going to go through this battle of their life and they don't have the tool set to go through it. So March for Cancer is a fantastic event. May 19th, Fort Lauderdale Beach. It's a 5K walk run. Um, you go there, register at marchforcancer.org if you want to participate. It's an awesome event. It's an awesome event. It's a beautiful, beautiful walk run right there on Fort Lauderdale Beach early in the morning. It's a great way to get your weekend started. And, you know, one of the things that I, I find great about it, if you are dealing with this, if you are have if you have a family member who's dealing with cancer, if you have a family member who's beat cancer, one of the things that I found is great about March for Cancer is that it is not a it is not a day of sadness. It is a it is a powerful day. It really is. I mean, you feel this weird sense of of unification as a community. Like you've all either dealt with something or you all want to be there to help people. And man, I, I just I do I do feel like in this world, this day and age, we don't do enough of that, or we don't talk about enough of the help that people do for each other. Because it's such a snippy, sniping world these days, and we're always, you know, badgering each other on stuff with social media or the the littlest separations of things. And I, and I think March for Cancer it's it's a great way for you to go out there, support an amazing cause, help people who are fighting cancer currently, um, help them get some of the funds they need. All the money gathered to this goes directly to people who are battling cancer right now and need some help you know seaman tommy as i've told you the stories of people who lights were going to get shut off kids taken away from them uh they couldn't work because of what they were fighting and so this will uh, this goes a long way into helping those kinds of things not happen those kinds of things um assist those who really need it and what i was getting to is the great thing about this is it's not a day of sadness. It's a very powerful day. It's it's a uniting day. It's a happy day. And you just come away with it. You walk away from it very, very inspired, um, feeling better about the world, feeling uh, better about people. And so I just, I highly recommend it. I think, I think if you're, if you're into that, if you're into um, doing walk runs, 5k, this is a beautiful scene to do it on right there on Fort Lauderdale beach. Um, you know, take it from a dude who doesn't run or walk, uh, not, not, uh, extremely backbreaking or extreme, um, very almost, almost refreshing to do. And if you guys want to register, go to marchforcancer.org. You guys can do that there. Uh, you guys can also just go there to donate. If you don't, if you can't go, but you want to help the cause, you can donate there. Uh, if you're a sponsor, if you're a corporate sponsor and you want to support the cause that way, you know, all of our radio stations are, are typically out there helping the cause there. You know, people have um, food and, and, and runner's food for for you afterwards. Um, going out, May 19th, Fort Lauderdale Beach, the March for Cancer. Go to marchforcancer.org, and you can support that way. Um, so check that out. I can't, I can't recommend it enough, guys. It really is a it's – a, it's an awesome event. Um, so moving on, we'll get to uh, some Bellator from last night. Last night was the heavyweight Grand Prix. This was the fourth quarterfinal. Uh, the third quarterfinal, excuse me. This one was going to determine who would move on to face Chael Sonnen in the semis. Hell of a matchup. Frank Mir versus Fedor. A, match, a matchup we have not thought we were going to see happen in Bellator. That is the one cool thing about Bellator. Bellator, 
it does bring people into the tent a little bit with the Legends gimmicks. That is uh, their MO, and, and it does give you exposure to some of their young guys. And I do think they have some very, very fun young guys that you can watch right now between Michael Venom Page, between Aaron Pico, between Kimbo Slice Jr., who I think has a, a real bright future ahead of himself. Um, and last night was Dylan Dennis. That was the guy I think everybody wanted to see, a stable mate of Conor McGregor's, jiu-jitsu wizard. Um, it's it's kind of funny, actually. Like Dylan and, and Conor have a lot of the per- – Dylan was actually the guy who bailed Conor out of jail. That's a, that's a good buddy right there. Um, but I would say where you would say Conor is in – striking movement on the feet dylan's probably that on the ground like just a just a uh a a free mind um will do different things to get guys out of there submission wise and you saw yesterday with his opponent he uh he got cracked a couple times and on the feet it was not looking too great for him and although it was brief and pulled guard got himself a toehold uh after getting uh after going for a knee bar initially got himself a toehold of his opponent Tapped him out, hurt the dude's leg, and a, and a one and no star for Dylan Dennis. But I do think that's the benefit of having these uh, these legend fights is that I do think it brings people in to see the young guys initially. So yesterday was a cool car where you had four straight submissions until we got to the main event. And Frank Mir, who by the way looked Jack Diesel, looked like he was in all the post USADA sauce he could get into. Really, really great-looking body by Frank Mir. Not looking sloppy at all. He was taking on Fedor, who does not give a bleep about what his body looks like. And these two got into a quick scrum of it. Um, you know, throwing heavy shots at each other. Really, really wild firefight these guys were going into. At one point, Fedor ends up on top of Frank Mir. They pop back up. They're going to a skirmish. Frank Mir chases him. And Fedor hits him with the old Stockton slap. Then hits him with the left uppercut. Boom. Frank Mir hits the canvas. Quick follow-ups on Fedor as he pounces on Frank Mir. Ref steps in between. Fedor is moving on to face Chael Sonnen in the semifinal. So, very, very exciting. Brief fight between the two legends, which is probably best. You don't want the old guys fighting for too long. And they, they put on a nice little show for you. And Fedor getting himself a win in the Bellator cage. You know, it's been a it's been a bit of a struggle for Fedor when he's in the cage, when he's in the environment of being in America. And so him getting this uh this win is cool for him. Kind of revamps the legend that is Fedor, that he can still get wins. Um, even though he's even had some strange losses in there, it's good to get his hand raised in that regard. Frank Mir just coming off suspension. Um just a couple things. Frank Mir's chinny. He he has been for a little bit. He's fallen in love with his hands uh, in the latter part of his career, even though that's probably not what his bread and butter is. As he's gotten older, that's what he wants to go out and showcase. And so that's gotten him in some trouble and, and has made him suffer some wicked knockouts. Now, he hasn't been in there for a while because of the USADA situation. Um, it's not like he's taken a ton of punishment over the last couple of years. So... Yeah, I'm sure we'll see Frank Mir back in there. This isn't going to be the end of the road for him. You get clipped by Fedor. Happens. It's heavyweight. So the interesting thing is this next matchup between Chael and Fedor. Because Chael, they bring him in afterwards. You know, Chael tries to do his thing. And um, there's a couple things. One, John McCarthy, really weird with the interviews. He's, He's bigger than everybody. 
He grabs all the fighters by the scruff of their neck. It's not a cool move. I, I, I don't know why he continues to do this. Somebody was pointing this out. Like, he even did it to Fedor. Like, he... I like John McCarthy on the broadcast. I don't think he should be doing the post-fight interviews. I, if he's, he is bigger than all the other fighters. And he has them by the scruff of their neck like they're puppies. I don't want the interviewer bigger than the fighters. It's weird. They should have somebody else who's of normal size doing the interviews who is not grabbing them by the scruff of their neck. It's strange. He doesn't let anybody go. What are you going to do, get into a tussle with John McCarthy? Probably not. But it's a strange look. He's not clean on it yet, and that's not a shot at him. He's new to this. But he kind of just needs to back off and give the fighters their own space to work and breathe. Like, you remember the last time Chael won his fight over Rampage, and John McCarthy wouldn't let him go. He should let him go walk off. He's doing this thing where he has them by the back of their neck like they're puppies. He shouldn't do that. It's weird. He's too big. And so, I don't know if they should throw Jen Brown in there, let her, she's a pro's pro, has done a ton of interviews. Because at one point, here's the thing. They let Dylan Dennis, he went and did an interview with John. It was kind of strange. It was, it was in, uh, it doesn't feel like John really got to his, his points with them, or I don't know. So they go to another backstage interview with Dylan Dennis and Jen Brown. Now, I know they had time to kill because all the fights were first-round submissions. We were humming through this card yesterday. Um... But, yeah, it's so noticeable that 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 John McCarthy, like, even you saw when Chael was talking to him, like, Chael was kind of leaning away so as not to get put on the scruff by John. He's got the scruff hold. It's weird. He has to stop that. Stop grabbing people, Big John. I love you. You're great on the broadcast. I think in the fights, he's good. But the post-fight interviews, he's got to stop grabbing the fighters. It's weird, man. Like, I know Joe Rogan does it. But Joe Rogan's a tiny person, just just in height. He's a tiny person, so it's not. It doesn't look like he is the most intimidating guy in the ring. That's the thing with John. Even though he probably can't kick a lot of these guys' ass, and I'm not trying. I know John McCarthy's got credentials, but even though he probably can't beat a lot of prime fighters, to the eye of the person just watching, they're like, "Whoa, who's this guy? He's bigger than everybody else, and he's grabbing him by the neck." It's weird. They got to stop that. They got to stop. It's either got to be he's got to give them some distance or they got to go to somebody else. John doing the interviews can't happen anymore. It can't. It's weird. I'm telling you. It's it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird sight that we're into. As far as Chael versus Fedor, this is an interesting fight. I mean, this look, this is typical um striker versus guy in the ground. We know what Chael's going to try and do. Um the one thing I will say is Look, Chael pretty much had this matchup against Rampage where you know at this point in his career what Fader's going to do. I know Fader's got way better credentials on the ground than Rampage does, but when have we seen that from, from Fader at this point in his career? What are we talking now? A better part of a decade? Like, when's the last time Fader's really gone for a submission on somebody? Has not. It's been a long time. So... As long as Chael doesn't do that dumb thing where he jumps into a guillotine, which is, you know, kind of his, kind of the 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 bugaboo of his career. If you look at Chael Sonnen and where things have gone awry for him, it's pretty much been getting caught in dumb submissions. Um, but I imagine Fedor is going to go into this fight saying, "Ah, oh, this guy's a, a light heavyweight or middleweight. 
I'm going to go knock his block off. I just knocked down a guy who's 260 plus. Um, so I, I'm sure I can catch Chael coming in. Maybe so. Uh, I would say that you're going to see Chael Sonnen probably try and take him down. And if he could have, I would say if Chael can avoid getting caught by something dumb, like uh, like a guillotine or a triangle or something like that, I, I think he can find his way to victory here. I really do. Um, and, and it'd be interesting because we haven't seen Fedor go the distance a lot in these fights. I mean, the, uh, for better or worse, these fights for Fedor are pretty much ending in a round. So with Chael, you got the feeling that these fights are going to go three rounds. Um, and if it's and and if that's the case, yeah, I could see I could see Chael finding his way to victory just because we just seen him avoid it with Rampage. Um, even though even though Fedor does present a few more issues there, so interesting thing to look out for. Uh, so we got Triple G coming up next week. And we also have ourselves a weird offer between Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua. We'll get to that stuff next. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. Welcome back. Fighters Fury here on The Ticket. Kind of bummed this week. Leroy and I were supposed to be heading out to Vegas for Triple G Canelo. That's not happening because of bad, tainted, clambuterol meat. Stupid. You know, it was funny. Like um, this week, Canelo, they had his hair sample come back. And I guess uh, Golden Boy tested his hair to show that it really was within the balance that he appeared to unintentionally ingest the clenbuterol. This was a weird turn for me, man. Like it was it, because I told you guys, and I was I was stark wrong. I, I told you guys on the show that I thought when the hearing first happened that it was just BS. There's no way that Vegas was going to dice this fight too much money um they can't replace it with anything and vegas i don't really even know what other fight goes to vegas this year you know there'll be some smaller shows i think um what's it called i think terrence crawford joe jeff horn's gonna be there later and and maybe lomachenko will fight there but i'm I'm talking like monster pay-per-view huge fights i don't know what's gonna go there i mean maybe if we get deontay wilder anthony joshua over here That'll be the, the next super fight in Vegas. Um, but other than that, the biggest fights in Vegas are going to be probably Connor's next comeback fight, unless that's in Russia, and UFC 226, which has turned out to be an amazing card. Shout out to them, by the way, for uh, putting uh, Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis. Ooh, can't wait for that fight. That's amazing. But Canelo's hair sample comes back, and it's negative for Clembuterol. And so... What I'm left with here is, all right, I will, let's put it with the caveat that this was done by his team, so take it with a grain of salt. But let's just say that it is true, that it it does show that Canelo Alvarez was within the limits and does show that he unintentionally ingested the supplement in a supplement that is known to be tainted in meat in Mexico. You know, I hear all these journalists and I hear all these media members tell me that, oh, well, it's Canelo's job to know what's in his body and, and it's, it's his fault. It's like, okay, fair enough. But what's the punishment here? Because he's going to fight in September. So what did we really do? 
we just showed, oh, no, we really care about doping here? Because you really don't. I mean, if it really was something serious, you give him a more serious punishment. You, you, knocked, you knocked his payday back a few months. I think Canelo will be fine. It's not like anybody has to, you know, hold their hat on on the curb for him. So what was the point? And so I, I really do feel like it came down to this. Boxing got caught into this weird crosshair of we need to show that we actually care about this stuff and that it matters when somebody tests because for the most part it doesn't it really doesn't I mean if you're a fringe guy yes it'll definitely screw you but if you're a big name generally you're gonna skate like go see Luis Ortiz versus Deontay Wilder basically that fight got delayed four months and I got to imagine if Triple G comes out this week and beats Van Esmartesian, which he probably should and will, I got a hard time believing we're not seeing Triple G versus Canelo in September. You know, it, it's it, it, I'm going to be very, very skeptical. Now, maybe Triple G stays true to his word and he says, I don't want Canelo, I don't want to deal with Canelo, and this will really be a black eye to Canelo's career. I just got a hard time believing it. And... I really just wonder what was accomplished with this suspension. And call, maybe, look, maybe I'm a little salty because this ruined my Vegas trip, so that's why I'm a little down on it. But I'm just, I really do want to know what this accomplished. If all the evidence shows, he probably took it unintentionally. And we're sitting here next weekend with a fight that's kind of a joke, let's be honest. What was really accomplished? Triple G doesn't get paid. The fans don't get what they want to see. Nobody makes money. And it doesn't really seem like Canelo did anything. So all you really did was you stepped in here and showed, no, 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 no. We mean business with this stuff. It's like, you do? Seems like you mean not to do business to me. And I'm not, again, I, I, can, I can acknowledge I got a blind spot here because I'm a fan. And I want to see the fights and PED use, it's just like water off a duck's back to me. It's been so commonplace in my sports consumption since I was a kid. I don't care. I grew up, and the first things I remember really, really being hardcore was steroid-induced home runs all over the place, and I remember it being awesome. And so, and then I watch in the NFL on Sunday, and I see what these guys are turned into, and I'm supposed to believe that's on the level. I just, you know, I just look at it with such a ho-hum mentality, especially when I see what the guy popped for, and I'm just like, okay. So he got popped for a, a, a smeckle of an endurance performance enhancer. Okay. So what you want Canelo not to make weight? I, I, just weird to me and so that's that's where I'm left with it's like all right good I guess you feel like you caught Canelo caught him doing what he's gonna fight in six months so he's gonna have to answer more questions from the me and this is the the funny one to me always with the media is they're athletes they're responsible for what goes into their body I, I, I wish some of us as media members would be responsible for what goes into our body based on like how most of us look we should be only we should be so responsible like mistakes happen 
that this is silly. This is a silly mistake to me. You know, it's it's not it, to me. It, it doesn't feel like a gotcha moment. It feels like we're going to show you that we can get you. Doesn't feel like they really discovered anything here to me. So Triple G fights next week. I'll watch Triple G because I love watching Triple G. But he should do work against Venice. It should it should not be close. I you know. And um, it the thing that will be interesting is if Triple G stays true to his word that he really isn't into fighting Canelo anymore. If he wants to go and fight Billy Joe Saunders, if he wants to go fight Daniel Jacobs on a rematch or one of the Charlos, that'll be that I'm into all of those fights and that'll really show me something as far as where he really stands with Canelo Alvarez and how he feels Canelo wronged him because I do feel like Canelo did screw him to some regard here. Um Nevada too. But that'll be interesting. That that's the real storyline coming out of this is what is Triple G going to say? with a week's full of media, when Max Kellerman's talking to him after a supposed victory, what is he going to, what direction does he want to go into? Does he want to, you know, say, because I I thought one of the things that this was going to be fun for leading into the rematches, the rematch, the the first fight was cool and it was a fight we wanted to see. And it was triple G versus Canelo, two of the best going at it in their prime still let's go. But it really did lack a certain juice to it. It, it, it. No pun intended. It lacked a certain drama. You know, Triple G, that big drama show. There was no real drama to it other than it was a great fight. The rematch, other than it felt like Canelo had one of the judges in his pocket, this storyline, I thought, was going to help the business of the fight. You know, there seems to be this knowledge or this belief that Canelo being a cheat or or a, a, a perceived cheat was going to hurt business. And I disagree. I think if you have Canelo out as the villain, people want to watch the villain. They want to see the villain lose. So to me, I thought it was going to be great for business for them. I didn't think it was going to be a bad thing. But we'll see it in September. I, all, things, all things considered, I think Triple G rolls this week. He talks bleep. But he's going to want that fight. Let's be honest about it. Like, I heard, um, I forget what podcast it was. I think I heard Kevin Ioli on one of the, uh, on the Yahoo podcast this week. And he says that Triple G's going to make less than a million for this fight. He's Triple G. Triple G's stepping into a ring and he's making less than a million dollars. One of the most recognizable boxing faces in the world. And then he was probably going to make 12, 13 to fight Canelo Alvarez. He's fighting Canelo Alvarez. Like, when I heard that nugget, if it's true, he's fighting Canelo Alvarez. One last thing before we get out of here, negotiation-wise. Uh, Deontay Wilder's team sent a $50 million offer to Anthony Joshua for the heavyweight title fight to take place this fall. Uh, Al Heyman and Showtime apparently going to back it. And they sent it to Eddie Hearn. Eddie Hearn kind of dismissed it. He said he, he he equated it to a Nigerian email scam, I believe was his, uh, his comment on it. And Shelly Finkel, who is... Deontay's manager, Deontay has a lot of people in his cookie jar, man, uh, his manager, and he's like, well, this is no different than you offering him 12, or this is no different than you offering uh, di- him to fight Dillian White. We'll show you proof. Basically, Eddie Hearn wants proof that they actually have 50 minutes. Like, we'll show you proof. You accept it. You accept the fight. We'll show you the proof. So to me, this is very, very similar. There was at one point where Floyd Mayweather in the long saga that was the negotiations of the Manny Pacquiao fight where he just offered um, Manny $40 million straight up 
to fight him. And Manny turned it down because Manny wanted to be in the revenue split. Turned out to be a smart move. Um, and for this fight, this is a $50 million guarantee for Anthony Joshua. And according to Lou DiBella, he gets 50% of the revenue that exceeds $100 million. So we'll see. Um, it seems a little bit like a ploy right now. Like just a thing to show that Deontay's got some actual money behind him. But I'm I'm a little bit on the side of Eddie Hearn here. We're like, all right, let's see how legit this is and see where it goes. Because right now, seems like a headline grant right of me. I don't know if I'm uh, I don't know if I'm 100% sinking my teeth into this uh, 50 million dollar offer yet. Not quite sure about it. Everybody have a great week. Zach Duarte is going to come for the next few hours and talk some sports with you. We'll be back uh, with the morning show tomorrow, one to three, all that jazz. And everybody have a great Sunday. Bye. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.